Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With us in the studio today is a guest I'm very excited about, who's actually also physically with us in the studio today, which doesn't always happen and is very exciting to me personally. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, um, I have been trapped by a phrase of my own making. Uh, recently, uh, I finished my book, um, which was very exciting, and I sort of realized at this point I had no place to put all these jokes that often come into my head. So I decided to start a newsletter um, called The Shatner Chatner. It's mostly about my feelings about William Shatner, which are myriad um, and beautiful. And uh, the second issue was supposed to go out last week, but it got flagged for abuse because it repeatedly uses the phrase, Captain James T. Kirk is a beautiful lesbian. And... Um, that sort of looks like spam if you are designed to track spam and you just see like repeatedly the phrase beautiful lesbian, um, you might not realize that someone is in fact very earnestly talking about their feelings for fictional space captain and lesbian James T. Kirk. You might think that they were trying to sell people, I don't know, porn bottery. So uh, I have been over the last week and a half emailing back and forth with a very kind, very patient person uh, at the, the newsletter service that I use um, who is like still not quite convinced that I'm real um, and that I have not like purchased everyone who is subscribing and I'm still in the process of like trying to explain what I am attempting to accomplish with this newsletter Um and it might not work. I might I might be in limbo forever. I might never be able to prove to them sufficiently that I do believe that James D. Kirk is a beautiful lesbian. Um, and that's just an issue that's very near and dear to my heart. So um, updates to come, I'm sure. But for right now, I'm still trying to fight my way out of this spider's web that I've created for myself. Speaking of beautiful lesbians... Hey, that was a great segue. Uh, my guest today is Charlie Jane Anders, uh, a writer who lives in the Bay Area. Her novel, All the Birds in the Sky, recently won the Crawford Award and was nominated for both the Nebula and Hugo Awards. Charlie Jane, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you <clears throat> so much for being had. Um, I'm so jazzed about this. I love your shirt, by the way. Listeners, you can't see it because you're not here with us. But um, Charlie has a wonderful wonderful shirt called the Sex Workers Outreach Project. That's not the name of her shirt. It's what's <laughs> written on her shirt. The project itself is more than just shirts. I think that they do other things. I don't know. Maybe they just do shirts. I really just like, like you the know, idea. Sex workers need shirts. We're going to make shirts for them. Yeah. And, and their you know. supporters should also have shirts. End of our goals. Yeah, that's it. We, yep, you know, it just we, funds further T-shirt production. Doable. Yeah, we I, set we set a horizon that we knew we could reach. I really like that, actually. Just the idea of we're going to accomplish this very specific goal. That's it. We will not fail. No, it's actually a terrific organization. Everybody should support it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but it's please no. I mean, go for it. Yeah, tell us about organization it. Organization that does a lot of work for the rights of sex workers and uh, helping sex workers and everybody should definitely support it. So not, sorry, I think sometimes people hear sex worker outreach and they think of like religious organizations that are sort of like, we are reaching out to you to tell you what to do with your life, which is to stop being a sex worker. I assume that, that is not what your shirt is especially. I, I don't believe so. No, I don't think <laughs> that that's a big part of their mission. No. Um, how does it feel to get nominated for an award? 
It is freaking crazy. Do you feel it's a little just, taller or something? I just, I feel like I have more to live up to, but also like I'm just so grateful that people kind of were willing to give me that recognition for my first genre novel. Like I I figured it would be like, I'd publish this one and then maybe I'd like publish five others and they'd be like, okay, you're, you're getting there, kid. But they just, you know, yeah, this, the first time out, they just, gave me the the nominations it was amazing and what's kind of great is that now i can i can truthfully say that today's advice is going to be award winning it that is true it I is mean, from it the winner of an crawford award crawford winning advice yeah you know it's a hundred percent crawford yeah. sounds like a trustworthy name it's totally yeah i mean you would you can't go wrong basically do you feel like there there is an award-winning philosophy to the advice you hope to give today I mean, I think that the number one, I was rereading the questions on the train over here, and the number one thing that kept coming up in my mind is that I feel like guilt is the worst emotion, and that people who feel guilty should try not to and should try to get past that, because guilt just, it always leads to destructiveness. Nobody ever does anything good out of guilt. Nobody ever, like, went and built a hospital out of guilt. People just kind of wallow it and then it turns makes turns into anger. I feel like I'm the I'm the Yoda of guilt. You're the anti-guilt advice giver today. Yeah. I'm like guilt leads to anger. Anger leads to destructiveness. Destructiveness leads to more guilt. I'm basically like, yeah, I'm the guilt Yoda. Man, I, I wish so much there was a question that I was kind of debating whether or not to throw into the podcast today or answer in the column that I actually went with in the column that was from someone who had recently been like jaywalking, uh, oh. crossing against the light. But doing so after, like, carefully checking, you know, taking the calculated risk that we sometimes do, um, and was feeling terrible because uh, another person who was approaching from the opposite direction, they realized, looked up, saw them crossing the street, began to cross as well without checking, and got hit by a car. Um, and And had sort of oh written in to God. say, you know, I called 911. I waited with the woman until she was um, taken away in an ambulance. Um, you know, oh, man. I know it's not... Uh, like everyone is needs to check for themselves whether or not a car is coming, but I feel really responsible. And so <clears throat> kind of thinking through what you were just talking about, I was trying to like offer various ways for them to sort. I mean, uh, obviously, I thought like PTSD counseling would be super helpful because what they were saying, like, I can't sleep. I feel so guilty. I keep oh reliving God. it. That is a situation where I would legit feel super guilty. I, like, I, I, I totally got that. Not like it's, I don't believe that it was their fault, but I understand feeling responsible. I would I would totally feel like I had contributed to that and I would be I would beat myself up, up about that, whether I thought that was the right thing to do or not. Right. Like, you wouldn't encourage someone else to. But you understand the, yeah, the feeling. I, mean, I think it's it's natural in a situation like that, for sure. Sure. Um yeah, no, that was that was an intense one. Um, but we are not going to answer it today. We're going to answer some totally different questions today. Um, and I am going to go ahead and read our first one, and then you can you can take us into the next one later. Um, but the subject of this one is just sisters' false memories. Dear Prudence, my sister has what I think might be false memories of an abusive childhood. I never witnessed or experienced anything close to the vicious beatings she remembers. It's been hard for both of us, but we've made our peace. I understand that this is all real and painful for her, and we've agreed not to discuss our childhood because it really isn't something we have in common. Except that, well, she'll tell anecdotes all the time about the impoverished, Dickensian hellscape she grew up in. It has nothing to do with my happy childhood in the same home, with the same parents, at the same time. In order to keep the peace, I found it best not to dispute her version of events, but it's a little maddening to just suck it up and feel uncomfortable so as not to reopen old wounds. I love her and I want to have a relationship, but I feel like I'm walking on eggshells so much of the time with her. Any advice? Well, 
I mean, this is where I sort of put on my novelist hat because one of the things that I'm obsessed with in my work is kind of memory and the past and the way that different people remember things differently, the sort of Rashomon of it, you know, and the fact that, you know, every time you remember something, you're changing it in your head and the past is really slippery. And But at the same time, your past is real to you and you can't just kind of wave it away by saying, oh, I don't someone else saw this differently. So obviously my version of the past was wrong. Right. I've read this through a couple of times because part of me really wanted some sort of smoking gun that would allow me to say, ah, I believe either uh, your sibling remembers something accurately that, that you have forgotten or tried not to notice or something that would clarify which one it is so I could give advice like to that particular perspective. Because um, it's often true that if uh, there are often like <clears throat> a, a scapegoated, there's often a scapegoated child if there's abuse in the family. And very often, if one child is the specific target of abuse, there will be kind of a golden child or golden children um, who are, are treated very well by the abusers and are often shielded from a lot of that abuse. So one possibility, um, and and I have no... Again, I, I do not have the smoking gun that I wish I had so that I could be like certain um, is that your sister did experience abuse um, and that you didn't see very much of it. And, and maybe were young enough that you kind of couldn't understand what you were seeing. And so it did not stay in your memory the way that it did with her. It's also um, a possibility that um, I, I, I don't want to talk a lot about like false abuse accusations just I mean I sort of believe that both sisters have real memories and that they they both remember stuff that happened and it's just that yeah I think you're right that it's possible one was scapegoated and the other one was the good kid I think that happens a lot right that's a really common pattern I mean not to like drag it in my own work but you know all the birds in the sky has like this super intense stuff about the one of the main characters childhoods and i was really struck by how different people are either like the abuse in this book was so intense and horrible that i couldn't keep reading mm-hmm. and i had to put it down for a while versus oh that was fun that part was really interesting and like different people came to it really differently right. and read the same pages but thought it was like horrific or just kind of like wow her parents were kind of mean right um you know one piece of advice i thought about when you were reading it just now is it doesn't matter you know which sister remembers correctly i think that you know, clearly the person who wrote the letter, uh, she's decided to stop talking about their childhood. Right. And, you know, if she wants to keep having this relationship, she probably just needs to say to her sister, look, we need to agree that we're not going to talk about this. Like, we're just, when you talk about the stuff you remember from our childhood, I feel get really uncomfortable. I can't handle it. I don't know how to respond. I'm not the right person for you to talk to about this. Mm -hmm. If we're going to be adult friends, maybe we just have to agree that that's a boundary. Yeah, that's I think that's definitely one option. And I think that is an option that would at some point, certainly there, there will be a limit in terms of the closeness that you two are able to have. Like if if one of the preconditions of your adult friendship is we cannot talk very in depth about the childhood that we shared, um, especially if talking about that is important to your sister, um, probably you guys will not be able to have like a profoundly close, intimate, full of emotional disclosures type of relationship. Um, I also want to allow for the possibility of talking about it sometimes, which is not to say like um, we're going to sit down and hash out who's right and who's wrong. But um, and, and I mean, you know, you 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 have talked about it to some degree and you've come to a sort of agreement that it sounds like she's kind of not 
honoring right now, which is we've made our peace. Um, we've kind of fought through some challenging um, differences of opinion. We've agreed not to discuss our childhood. And then it says, except she tells stories all the time. And I'm not sure if like, are these stories she's telling to other people when you're nearby? Are these stories that she's like sharing on social media or in some form of writing that um, isn't like she's not calling you up and saying, and this happened. Um, so kind of depending on how that's going, you can either, you know, um, if, if these are like stories she's telling other people, like maybe you can find a way to sort of disengage or just like, you know, since you've already agreed to disagree about it, you can kind of step back from those moments. Um, if this is an agreement you guys came to and she's still really often saying, and this and this and this, um, I, I think it would be fair for you to say, hey, one of the things we've talked about is that it's hard for us um, to to bring up our childhood. And I feel like you're you're doing that a lot. That's not easy for me. It, you know, if you do that and I need to take a minute or like end a conversation, I'm going to do that. Like I'm going to take that space that I need. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. And I actually think that this could be a thing where maybe you have a could you could have a few years of cooling down. And then after a few years of kind of not talking about this stuff, Things might change. Like, I wonder where the parents are. Like, are the parents still alive? Are they Are they still in the picture? Is part of the reason why this is a problem because one sister wants to keep the relationship with the parents and the other doesn't? I feel like I feel like the letter writer would have mentioned it just because usually when a parental dynamic is at play in a sibling relationship, letter writers will include that. Right. But um, yeah, that's totally up in the air. We don't know. They might be dead. They might be living. One might talk to them. The other might not. I don't know. <sighs> Yeah, it it is tricky. I mean, this is a pretty big deal. Like, this is not something that's as easy to sort of um, leave aside or paper over. Like, this is not, I like chocolate ice cream, you like vanilla. This is pretty big. Um, And it's possible that you might say that and your sister might say, I can't do that. Or, Or she might kind of agree in the moment, but then continue to do it. And then you sort of have to figure out, you know, like, are there ways that I can ask her questions about it that might be useful like because again i just i really want to give a lot of space to the possibility that your sister experienced things that you didn't see um and that like you can maybe ask like man i don't i don't remember this like in your memory do you remember like was i nearby was i gone like did mom and dad wait until i was out of the house to do this like to at least kind of investigate a little bit how your sister feels and thinks about this which is not the same thing as saying um i agree with you completely i i I agree with your version of events but just to kind of since so much of this is something she remembers that you don't you you know there's an opportunity here for you to ask questions in like a neutral open-minded way um that might be helpful to you um but yeah no this is really hard i don't know for sure um you know not that there is like one right version of events. I have also seen Rashomon, although it's been a while. Right. I should know better. Um, but yeah, so basically, I think it is fair for you to revisit the conversation and to say you're you're bringing this up a lot with me in a way that's challenging for me. And I wish you would share this more with like friends you didn't grow up with or a therapist or other people. And maybe we can talk about other stuff that's going on in our own lives and not like don't yell at her about it like that would not be i think helpful or kind but it is it is an okay request to make and if she can't do that then then you might have to accept that it's not possible for you guys to be really really close right now like that might not be helpful or useful to her i wish i had like a really great answer to this one 
It's a, it's a really tough one. Yeah. I mean, it's super tough. Yep, yep. No, that's just challenging, and, and I think that it's something you can bring up, and then you'll kind of have to continue to revisit and tweak and if you need to take some time and space. Um, and if it genuinely does not match up with anything in your own memory, um, you know, it's okay to, to take a little time apart. Yeah, and like I said, things might change. Like in a few years, um, one, or the, one or both of you might have a change of heart about some of this stuff, or you might find that you have you can talk about it now. You know, it's nothing is ever permanent with these sort of things. Yep, yep. Yeah, best of luck. So our next letter is from, is the subject confused? Dear Prudence, Recently, I have started to feel as if I have lost all agency in my relationship with my parents. When I was in 12th grade, due to my untreated depression, I failed my final exams. I told my parents that I was sure I was depressed, and they somehow got me into a college, and I redid my exams and barely passed. Now I'm stuck in a degree that I hate, and when I was talking to my parents, they informed me of a life path that they had picked out for me. I have another medical condition, and my current homeopathic treatment isn't working, but my mother refuses to let me even consider an allopathic route. They have been no help with the depression either, and I feel as if I can't make any decisions for myself. They even made me pick out a country that I didn't like to study abroad in. I fear that when I let them help me with getting into college, they decided that they got to pick everything for me. Am I being ungrateful? Should I fight back? A quick note for our listeners before we answer this, just in case you're not familiar with the word allopathic, um, that is what people who practice homeopathic medicine um, call basically evidence-based medicine. Um, So that's just like going to see a doctor with a medical degree, like an MD, um, would be an example of allopathic medicine. So essentially, um, scientifically based medicine uh, is what they're talking about when they say allopathic. It's it's sort of, al- it's non-alternative medicine, like right. alternative medicine, some of which has a basis in, you know, other cultures or, you know, there's certainly evidence about some of it. Right. Homeopathy not really <clears throat> being in that category. No. Um, homeopathy essentially being... Um, the minute dilution of essences and oils, um, it, it does not, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't help. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a useful treatment for depression, for example. Or um, the uh, whatever unspecified medical condition this person has besides depression. Right, right, yeah. So just a helpful note, I think. Um, yeah, what, what do you think? Uh, is this letter writer being ungrateful? Do you, do you think that that's an accurate uh, read of the situation? No, I mean, I would say that you know, this is definitely a situation where she's an adult, she's old enough to be in college, and she's definitely old enough to be making her own choices. And it just, it seems like she needs to set boundaries with her parents if she's ever going to have any kind of relationship with them that's healthy in the future. To to be fair, actually, the, the letter writer does not mention whether or not they are uh, male or female. So, um could oh, be could be sorry. a guy. I'm no, so no, no, no. I I do this all the time. I was talking about this last week in the column. I make so many assumptions, and then I'll go back and reread and be like, oh, "You never said." I'm guessing. Um, but I mean, I think in terms of whatever their gender identity, like that would probably be great advice. Like, no, you are not being ungrateful. Right. Um. Yeah, and and I understand. It sounds like your your depression is still untreated and is still at a point where you feel often um, trapped. Uh, as if as if you don't know what the next right move is, but um, 
man, uh, absolutely, you do not need your mother's permission to go see like a medical doctor. And I, I think you should, especially like, uh, you know, whatever college you attend, hopefully there are like campus medical and mental health services. And I think you should go. I think you should go right now. You don't need to tell your parents. They don't need to know. Like uh, they, uh, the the mental health professional or medical professional that you would be seeing on campus would not tell your parents. They cannot tell your parents. Um, you you can go tomorrow, like make an appointment, um, get get checked out, tell them about your depression, tell them about your other medical condition that is not currently being adequately treated. Um, like you can absolutely go and you do not need to get your parents permission or, or buy in, uh, in order to do that. And I think that that will go a long way towards helping you feel like you are in charge, at least of your own like mental health and well-being um, and the decisions that are made around your medical care. Yeah, I also wondered about whether the parents are sort of using money to control this person because there's the mention of the study abroad thing, which is an expensive proposition unless right. they got a really good scholarship. Like a scholarship that would cover study abroad is pretty unusual, I think. Right. And especially that sort of, well, you were barely going to get into college and we like pulled in all the reinforcements and got you in. So now you owe us mm-hmm. total obedience for the rest of if not your college career, your adult life. Right. Because you, you know, like in their eyes, couldn't do it on your own. So we had to step in. And that's just not true. Yeah. I mean, you know, you the, you had a setback. You had, you had an illness. You had a medical problem, which for anybody might have meant taking a year or two to regroup. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's nothing to feel like you you needed to be rescued. You needed understanding and support, but you didn't need someone to swoop in and take control of your life. Yeah, and I think there's sort of that feeling right now, like the last question is, should I fight back, which is still this mindset of either my relationship to my parents is I continue to accept their unhelpful help or I start fighting with them right away. And and obviously, you are going to be having conversations with your parents down the line that will involve uh, disagreement and conflict. But your first step is not that you have to fight back. Your first step is you get to make your own choices. Yes. And like your parents don't have to enter into it at all. Um, that's not <clears throat> to I don't want to be too Pollyanna-ish. Like eventually, I'm sure if at some point you decide that you want to change your major, you will have to fight with your parents about it. And you may have to make difficult decisions um, about your own finances and, and what you are and aren't willing to do in order to continue getting help paying for college. But like, you know, you can anticipate that, like visit your college's financial services office, find out what you would need to do if your parents did uh, eventually like threaten to withdraw some of their financial support, find out what your options are. Um, but like right now in the immediate future, make that doctor's appointment make that therapist appointment um, and go and don't don't worry about telling your parents right away like you can let them know later right now i think your first and foremost focus should be yourself and and getting the help and the treatment that you need i absolutely agree yeah and and that will be helpful like you will be able to like use your therapist as a support system when it comes to like how do i eventually tell my parents that like i'm not pursuing homeopathic treatments for my depression um and they can give you like the tools and the resources you will need to start drawing those boundaries that have been hard for you to draw in the past and and to anticipate your parents are not going to like that um they're going to resist they're going to throw a lot of stuff at you they're going to try to guilt you for sure oh yeah <laughs> that's... there will be guilt and it's not going to be the kind of guilt that's like you were jaywalking and someone got run over yeah um and i think i i feel like that's maybe an undercurrent of this letter is part of what they're going to try to throw at you is this sense of why aren't you more grateful and i just i think it's great 
to be grateful in general. Um, I don't think you have to be grateful to your parents for, like, raising you. No. Um, Which is not to say, like, you know, you should throw rocks at your mom and dad when they try to feed you as a child. Just, like, the sense of, like, yeah, that's, like, what you are supposed to do as a parent. You are supposed to raise your child and help them become an adult. It's not something that your child now owes you for. Like, you do not owe your parents for your upbringing. Um, And if you start to make choices that they don't like, well, you know, that should have been the goal. You're raising someone who will someday become an adult and will make their own choices. You're not raising a miniature version of yourself. Yeah, and I think that, I'm just going to repeat that, I think if you want to have a good relationship with your parents down the line, like when you're an adult, when you're, you know, 10 years from now or whenever, setting boundaries now is going to be super important to that. It's going to be, otherwise it'll be much, much harder later. Yep. And, you know, you say that you fear that when you let them help you with getting into college, that they might have decided they would get to pick everything for you. And I think the way that you should think about that now is whether or not they've decided that's what they're going to get to do, you get to decide that that's not the case. So you don't ever have to convince your parents. Like, it can be great to try to explain what you're doing and why. Um, but if at the end of the day you say, here are the reasons that I've chosen to see, like, a, a quote-unquote Western-style doctor um, and, and talk about the possibilities of talk therapy or pharmaceutical intervention for my depression, um, if they don't like that, they don't have to. They can think it's a bad idea. And that doesn't mean that you're wrong. Like, you can say, okay, we're going to agree to get, disagree. I'm 20, 21 years old, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make this choice now. Um, and if they try to say, well, you couldn't get into college without our help or you're going to fail, you know, you do not have to have that conversation endlessly. You can say, I disagree. Um, this is the choice that I'm making. You don't have to like it, but you do need to respect it. Um, and you can end that conversation. Yep. I hear that you guys have a different opinion. I understand that. And, you know, this is what I've decided. Yeah. And man, I mean, like, go talk to what is it the thing in college, like the person, your advisor, right, who helps you choose your major and and what classes you need for that and all the requirements you're supposed to fulfill. Like, go tell whoever that person is, I hate my degree. Um, And tell them what you are interested in and ask them for like helpful incremental steps you can take where they could say, well, what's a class you've taken that you liked? And you can describe that to them and they can kind of help you figure out what would it look like to change majors? Or if you're at a point where that would be like really challenging, maybe adding a minor or even just taking a new class a semester that you don't hate. Um, you know, you're not stuck. You are not locked in. You're like 20, 21 years old. You are not locked into anything that you cannot yet walk away from. I promise you. And it's also okay not to know what you want to study or what you want your major to be. Like, especially if you're still dealing with untreated depression and other health problems, you know, you may not be able to figure out what your goals are while you're still trying to just get to a place where you can feel like you can take control. Yeah. No, I think I want to sort of clarify that sort of idea of not having to be grateful to your parents. Like, certainly if somebody is paying for your education, um, it's reasonable for them to say things like, it's important to me that you don't skip all of your classes, use the money to buy expensive video games and totally check out. Like, that's that's a reasonable expectation. Um, it's not reasonable to say, if I'm paying for your education, you owe me, like, total obedience um, to, like, not develop your own interests, to not figure out what type of career you might like to explore, um, and to follow this medical treatment plan that I think is best for you. Like, that's not reasonable. 
It's two completely different things. Right. Yeah. So, like, certainly <clears throat> not to say, like, if someone's paying for your college, you should just, like, take the money and skip town. I don't want to make it sound like that's what I'm advocating. But, um, no, these are all choices that you get to make. And I think as you make little steps, like, as you make that doctor's appointment by yourself and don't run it by your parents first, that's going to feel really good. Um, and that's how you're going to start to build that sense of, oh, I don't need their permission. I can do these things on my own. And you are capable of them. And I think... It's going to feel really good when you start moving down that path and it's going to be challenging and you're going to face for sure some resistance. Um, But, um, you know, asking for help is the best way to figure out how you can navigate that path without your parents' support. And and I think that's going to be really rewarding ultimately. And I'm excited for you. Good luck. Our next letter, the subject line is just downwards and upwards. Uh, Dear Prudence, I'm a young gay female from a conservative but relatively accepting family. I'm out to my immediate family and they've met my partner, but they all have hang-ups about the quote-unquote lifestyle. I'm engaged to a wonderful woman, and we've decided to move a far distance away to live in an area that we've loved to visit in the past. We've checked out towns there and have a good idea of where we want to move, done a lot of research, and we're saving up. The problem comes with how to break the news to my very close-knit family, in which I've always been the black sheep. Mom and I had a huge falling out after the election, and having space and distance from them would be a welcome change for me. My mother has always made me second-guess my decisions and often suggests that I haven't thought things through. We know we want to move and feel confident in our decision, but I keep chickening out on breaking the news for fear that my mom will take the move personally. Any ideas for how to break the news? Man, families today. Families and permission. Yeah, it's like a theme. This is why I was thinking about guilt. I mean, it's so weird. Yeah. You know, again, much like our last letter, the good news is even if your mom thinks it's a terrible idea, you get to move wherever you want. Yeah. I mean, my feeling about this is like, why does it have to be a personal thing about the mom? Why can't she just be like, we want to move to this area. These are all the reasons we want to move to this area. We love this area. We've been visiting there. We think it'll be really fun. And just... It doesn't have to be a thing of like we're rejecting you yeah. or we're we're turning our back on our family by moving further away. Yeah, I, I would say definitely don't present it as because the question is, how do I break the news? You know, don't present it as I have something to tell you, um, something I know you're going to hate. Um, they may still respond in exactly the same way, but you can at least lead with this is good news. We are excited. We have been talking and thinking about it for a long time. Here's what we're especially looking forward to. And here's our plan. Yeah. Um, and just keep it keep it light, frankly. Like, we're moving and this is good news. Um, and if and when they hit you with, have you really thought this through? I think it's a terrible idea. You're going to shoot your eye out or whatever. Um, you, you just get to, like, kind of come back with, I hear that. We're really excited. Um, like, you, you don't have to, again, you don't have to argue. You don't have to, you don't have to prove that you've thought it through. You can just be like, that's too bad. I'm really stoked about it. Yeah, we visited it. Yeah. yeah, we spend some time there. We really love it. We we pretty much know why we're moving there. It's good. We like it. Yep. No, and just get really used to the phrase, sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to, if they're just like, oh, it's a horrible idea. You're going to fall off of a waterfall or explode. Like, you're just making the worst choice. Just like, sorry to hear that. I'm really excited. Um, There's massive outbreaks of untreated rabies in that area. You're just going to like... <laughs> rabies everywhere you go yeah i I mean there's problems everywhere mom yeah Um, yeah and it sounds keep you safe forever yeah it it sounds like 
this move is going to be good for you in many, many ways. Um, I imagine your mom probably will take it personally, no matter how cheerfully you break the news to her. Um, and and the chickening out is just going to make it feel worse on your end. Like, just go in anticipating, I'm going to deliver it as if I were talking to reasonable people. Um and kind of know that you're not going to get a reasonable response right away. Um, and, and that might take some of the pressure off of just like, that's okay. They can think it's a dumb idea. And I still get to go live in this really cool place with my amazing partner who I'm like crazy about. Yeah. That's, you You get to win, you know? Like, at worst, you get to live in this awesome city with your fiance who you love. Um, and like somewhere a thousand miles away, your mom gets to be like, oh, I think this was a mistake. Like, all right. Sorry, mom. What else is new? How's work going? How are the dogs? Whatever. And at some point, the mom can come visit, you know, and see how And stay at a hotel, are. not in your house. <laughs> stay at a hotel and just kind of, you know, feel like her you being there doesn't mean she's not going to get to see you. And that, you know, in fact, now she's got this cool place that she can visit that she hasn't been maybe before. And, you know, that's a plus for her. So Yeah. No, and just that line about my mom's always made me second guess my decisions, you know. To a certain extent, she can only make you second guess something if you believe that she holds some secret access to truth that you don't have, right? Like we can sometimes in our minds think, if someone suspects that I haven't thought something through or they think the worst of me, they're probably right because they think something negative. And it's like, just because your mom always thinks you're wrong does not make your mom more correct than you. Like, Absolutely not. She's just a bummer. Like, just say that to yourself before you tell her, like, mom's going to be a bummer about this. No surprise there. And it just sounds like there's this undercurrent of political disappointment. She mentions the election. She mentions that things have been strained since the election. Right. And, you know, I think that the timing is going to look like I need to get away from you, but there's no way around that. Yeah. I, people move. You know what I mean? People move all the time. You're not doing anything wildly out of the ordinary. Um, there is a little freedom that comes with always being the black sheep mm-hmm. in the sense of like, what's there to lose? I'm already the black sheep. Yeah. I mean... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you already came out to your family. This, they're like probably telling them you're moving is not going to go a whole lot worse than telling them that you're gay. So even if it is worse, at least you have practice. Um, yeah, I, I would say just do it. Um, you don't necessarily have to like wait till the family is all together and make a big announcement. You can just like the next time you're talking to your mom, just be like, by the way, partner and I'm leaving in a couple of months. Here's what we're really excited about. Here's what we've looked at. Uh, here's what we're stoked about. And, you know, let them be bummed and just kind of go with, sorry to hear that. Talk to you later. Yeah, I I, I think that that's the best thing that you, that's going to happen. And you're going to have a great time when you move away and you realize, oh, I don't have to like run into them at the Piggly Wiggly every day to hear them be <laughs> like, oh, I'm really disappointed in your shopping cart choice. Sometimes just having a little bit of distance is really good for your relationship with your parents. I got to say, like, I love my parents, but sometimes just not seeing them all the time helps me to really get along with them when I do see them. Absolutely. Sometimes parents are best on the other side of the country. Sometimes that's where they really shine. All right. You want to take us away with the next one? Oh, okay. This one is so charming. I find this letter writer enormously charming. Our next letter has the subject line, Getting away from gendered politeness. I'm from the South and still, in my 40s, Fear that I might get the switch if I fail to call my superiors, elders, and various service professionals ma'am or sir. I've been trying to step slowly away from gendered language where possible, and it's fairly easy in casual situations, 
If you're the kind of person I was calling dude before, you won't take offense if I call you buddy instead. But I don't know how to do this in formal or professional situations. For example, old me would go to the doctor and, upon being asked if I had my insurance card, would respond, yes ma'am, and hand over the card. New me can't very well say, yes buddy, and Yes, thank you doesn't fit, and yes, and here it is, seems a little over the top and plain old yes, seems brief to the point of rudeness. Please advise. I really identify with the level of anxiety this letter writer feels about basic social interactions, as well as the fear that they are about to be randomly punished by some as yet unseen authority figure. Gonna get the switch. Yep, it's out there. Someone's got it and they've got the right to use it on you. Even in your 40s, there's there's still a switch out there with your name on it. Do you you think this is something that they should be worrying about to this degree? Do you think there are easy solutions to their problem? Like, what say you? What do you got? I mean, I don't think that they should be super worried about this. It doesn't sound like they've been offending people by saying sir or ma'am. It doesn't, they don't mention that people got upset or yelled at them or said, how dare you gender me? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times, I think, in kind of formal situations, People will just run with that. It might not be their preference, but it's not something that people will be, like, offended by, especially if you are in the South. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, it's good that you're thinking about being considerate and trying to not gender people in a way that some people might be uncomfortable with. I think that's terrific. And I know that some people would really appreciate that, especially people who have a non-binary gender or whose gender identity is not one that you might immediately identify. Yeah, I do kind of like the idea of not always thinking about gendered language as this is the default and I will do it until somebody gets mad, as opposed to thinking, like, what are my values? And as a person, I think it's kind of nice to find ways of addressing people that don't necessarily default to male and female immediately. And so I want to move away from this just just because of a positive value rather than I've harmed someone or I've upset someone. I think that's kind of cool. I Yeah, I applaud this person for thinking about this and for being considerate and for, you know, having a sense of humor about it, clearly, um, and for wanting to not make other people uncomfortable with their politeness, which is one of those things that a lot of people assume that if they're polite according to some formula and you get offended, that's your problem. And this person isn't doing that. This person, you know, um, they're actually thinking about it in a sort of compassionate, open way, which is really great. Um, I don't have like a magic bullet for how to be polite without using gendered language. I think, um, you know, friendliness is polite, like saying, yes, absolutely. Yep. Here it is. Yep. Um, thank I say please and thank you way too often. Like I say please and thank you to everybody all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think certainly, you know, feel free to let yourself off the hook. Like if you find yourself just in the moment flailing and your brain supplies you with a ma'am or a sir, um, you know, you're not a monster. Uh, you are not like the problem. You know, you're engaging in a system that we're all a part of. Um, and there's a reason that we like revert to those words, especially based on the, like the way that you grew up. So definitely, um, I-, I think this is like a great goal to have, but also give yourself a little more latitude. It sounds like you're you're maybe in the habit of beating yourself up a little bit. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like if somebody, for example, said like, do you have your insurance card? I could I could see myself saying something just like, oh, yes, I do. Um, and that's not 
weird, right? You didn't run out of the room screaming. No, I mean, you know, again, if I wanted to be super polite, I might be like, absolutely, thank you so much. Or, you know, yeah, here it is. Um, yeah. Thanks for your help. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. And you might find yourself feeling uncomfortable occasionally. And part of what's kind of fascinating about that is that it reminds you that there are lots of scripts that if we are not deciding, uh, I'm going to engage on like assuming everybody's gender, I see it's like, ah, these are the limitations of our language. And like, there's some kind of interesting ways that you will figure out, here's what works, here's what sounds a little awkward. Um, again, like, I, I, not that you are overthinking this, but don't overthink it in the sense of if you find yourself using a sentence that sounds a little awkward, you have not just like ruined a situation. You're not a jerk. Um, that's fine. Um but yeah, absolutely. Just think through, like, what am I trying to communicate? I'm trying to communicate, like, that I want to be helpful, that I respect you, um, that I can, like, comply with whatever you need from me, and then kind of think through what phrases or, or sentences would work with that. Um, so I don't so much have, like, an exact script that I can give you uh, so much as, like, guiding principles, which is how do I let somebody know um, I'm here to participate in my end of the interaction? I'm interested in, like, how your day is going. I, I, you know, I wish you no harm. Here is my soft and vulnerable belly. So, you know, I'm not going to try to rip you open with my claws and eat you. Um, yeah. And I, I actually, again, I applaud this person for trying to avoid gender language. I think that's a great thing to do. And I think that's preferable. Um, and I, I'm just going to keep coming back to the idea of gratitude, which is in some ways the the kind of flip side of, of excessive guilt. Like being grateful that people are helping you, even if it's their job, is something that i find goes a long way in a lot of situations and not you know obviously gratitude can also be abused like with the person in the previous question mm -hmm. but i i feel like my form of politeness is often just to thank people and to appreciate that they're doing something that they're going to some trouble for me or that they're being helpful yeah no i i think that's fabulous and these are all great guiding principles and if anybody out there has found fantastic scripts for uh, regular social interactions that don't involve like default gender assumptions, you know, give us a call, let us know how it's going. Um, thank you for being from the future. Um, yeah, but this is this is a delightful question and it will probably be a lifelong project. Um, and, and if nothing else, just remember, no one is going to give you the switch. I definitely like whenever I meet somebody who I feel like is old enough to have been a teacher of mine when I was in junior high, I will immediately start wanting to call them like Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. Um, and people don't always delight in that. Um, people, I do that too. Yeah. But yeah, there's just the, like the Midwestern kid in me is like, yeah, I, I have to address you by your formal title and last name. I have not earned the right to say your first name. You should be teaching me about, you know, Anthony Trollope. Or frogs. Or frogs. Yeah, I don't think I was learning about Trollope in junior high. I don't know why that was where my mind went to right away. But anyways, yeah, um, good luck. All right. Our last letter is probably the heaviest one out of them all. Um, uh, the subject line is just, my mom forced me to get an abortion. Is it fair to keep her away from my family? Dear Prudence, when I was 15, despite all my precautions, I got pregnant. When I went to my mother, she told me I was getting an abortion. And since I was under 18, it was her decision. She threatened to harm me and induce a miscarriage if I didn't go through with it, so I did. My mother taunted me about it for years. She held the cost of the procedure over my head until I paid her back. She told me she could barely look at me. She often told my friends and even their parents about it to shame me. I've never gotten over it. Over a decade later, I still have nightmares and a deep guilt. I've been diagnosed with PTSD more than once, but all therapy and medication has failed to help. 
Since the birth of my daughter, I felt ill whenever my mother has been near her. I finally made the decision to cut her out of my life nearly two years ago, and I've never felt better. She was angry when I told her about my decision, and she still calls to tell me that it's not fair to punish her for the past and keep her grandchild from her. I am not intentionally punishing her, but am I supposed to feel guilty? Oh man, I could not have picked a better one for you today. Yeah, I mean, it's that really shook me, that 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 last letter. It really, like, it's so upsetting and horrible, and, you know, that's such an, a clearly abusive dynamic that my first response is just keep this woman away from your child at all costs. Yeah. Like, do not let this woman near your child. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you are not going to get anything other than, like, 100% full-throated support from both of us. Like, your mom abused you in one of the most, like, horrifying, ongoing, destructive ways um, and should be nowhere near your grandchild. Nowhere near. You are not punishing your mother. You are protecting your child. That was my, yeah, sorry. And that was 100% my reaction. And my other reaction was they have caller ID and block caller for a reason. Like if she's calling you a lot. Yeah. Block her calls without any guilt. Block the hell out of them. I, I just, it's amazing to me that your mom says it's not fair to punish me for the past when after forcing you to get an abortion that it sounds like you did not want um, she punished you for it for years. Not only punished you for it, but would tell other people and would humiliate you publicly for a choice that you actually didn't get to make. So for her to say, well, you should let the past be the past is is just foul and hypocritical in a way that just, I, I wonder how that woman sleeps at night. Sadly, I have a feeling she's, well, actually, she sounds really angry. She sounds like the mother sounds horribly angry and, but just horrible in general. Um, and I mean, the combination of of the sort of physical abusiveness and the kind of threatening to induce a miscarriage if she didn't get an abortion, and then the kind of emotional abuse, and as you say, the humiliation, that's just such a devastating combination. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I... Keep your mother out of your life forever. Like, if she falls off a cliff and she calls you on the way down and you don't answer that call, don't feel bad about it. Um, That's a pretty extreme example. But, um, yeah, no, this is not a person who has ever demonstrated any apology or regret for what she's done to you. She is an actively abusive person. Um, She would only continue to hurt you. Please just focus on yourself and your daughter. Like... Um, I know that you've said that uh, that therapy and, and medication have not been helpful to you. Whatever you do find helpful, keep doing that. You know, not talking to your mom, I bet that's helpful. Keep doing that. Taking care of yourself and your daughter, keep doing that. Whatever you need to do to feel safe in your own body and in your own home, like do that. Pursue wellness um, and, and supporting yourself as best as you can. Um, and do not take calls from that woman. I mean, it sounds like she wants to continue the abusive spiral in some way. And like not owning up to the abusive past in this case feels like a continuation of the abuse by other means. Right, right. You're you're taking away her access to her favorite abuse victim. You've taken away her favorite punching bag. Right. And like, I feel like what, what we said before about protecting your child is 100% true. But also, it, even if there wasn't a child in the picture, even if you, it was just you, you have a right to protect yourself. You have a right to get whatever you need to to be okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Even if you had never had a child, if you just decided for yourself you didn't want your mom around, that would be enough. 
Um, and she does not have a right to see her grandchild. There, There is no inherent right um, if you have forfeited that right through, like, profound physical abuse and emotional and spiritual abuse. Like, uh, just the way she tried to damage, like, your psyche and the way you saw yourself was so profound and horrifying. Um, nope. Feel great. Never talk to her again. Live your life. Take care of yourself. Take care of your own family and your own home and 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 literally never think about her again if you don't want to. I mean, I, I know that probably isn't feasible, but do not spend any time worrying about why you don't feel guilty. You don't feel guilty because you're doing the right thing. That's why you don't feel guilty. So don't. Oh, man, I should have I should have saved like the the surin mamming one for last because now I'm just like fired up and furious um, and, and just so sad. Um, but then we might have been like, why aren't you using the correct language? Oh, we're going to get the switch. <laughs> maybe maybe I would just get worked up on the last letter, regardless of content. Um, no, that last letter was super upsetting. And I think any letter we talked about afterwards, after that letter, would've... I would just be like, human beings are horrible and we should all just... Let's all just lay down on the floor and never talk to anyone. <laughs> just, yeah. Um Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was this was my pleasure. It was so great to hang out with you. This was this was terrific. This was so fabulous. No, and I, I love your idea of just like you know we've talked about this some on the show. The idea of kind of the difference between guilt and shame, and whether or not uh, the difference between like a productive feeling and a non-productive feeling. And I love the idea of just like man, if guilt is not useful to you, if it's not leading you to do good work, leave it behind. I mean, I think now that I've said that, I also think that there are situations where. Something might feel like guilt, but it's actually your conscience or yes. your, like you said, shame or your sense of like, if I do this, I'm going to hurt people. For sure. Yeah, and I don't think you were trying to say never think you've ever done anything wrong and always imagine that you've done the right thing. Yeah, I think people sh- should take inventory of their own actions and take responsibility for their own actions. And I'm a big believer in saying, hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. These are the steps I'm taking to make sure I won't do that again. Right. Um, in any situation where people do come to you and say that you've you've hurt them or upset them. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think that what I see as like counterproductive is, for example, if someone came to you and said, you've hurt me or upset me, and you just sort of hugged yourself in the corner and said, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person. Right. For the next three hours. Yeah, that's and not like, useful. That's not going to... The person who feels hurt isn't going to feel like that's really a response that's helpful to them. Absolutely. It's making it about you rather than about... I'm sorry I hurt you and I'm I understand that this was a problem and I'm going to try to I'm going to take serious steps to avoid doing that again. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a hard balance to strike, but I think a really important and a really useful one. Um and now that we've received award-winning advice, I believe that we will all go out and begin to do better. It's Crawford award-winning. <laughs> Crawford award-winning. The most no, I mean, Crawfordian of awards. I hope. Um, Charlie Jane, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I hope we get to have you back sometime soon and uh, have a fabulous day. Thank you. I want to give one last piece of advice to any of our listeners who might someday find themselves in a monster movie that is, in fact, a thinly veiled metaphor for whether or not Vietnam is a good idea. Uh, Sorry, not the 
concept of Vietnam, uh, American involvement in the Vietnam War, whether or not that was a good idea. And in movies, uh, the general consensus is always, no, it was a bad idea. Um, you've seen movies. You know what I'm talking about. Thinking specifically of the latest King Kong movie, Kong Skull Island, uh, which is a very silly film. Um, I enjoyed myself very much. Um, but there's always going to be a scene in monster movies. Jurassic World had this where somebody who represents the military industrial complex has this moment uh, where everyone around them is sort of like, have we gone too far? And again, the answer is always, yes, we're going to go too far. We're going to kind of lose our grip on reality uh, and try to blow everything up. uh, And we will not be able to recognize the fact that, in fact, the real monster is us. Uh, If you've seen any movie, you know what I'm talking about. So I I guess what I'm trying to say is if you find yourself being on the side of the well-meaning grunts uh, in any of these movies and your commanding officer starts to say things like, we need to go retrieve all the bombs that we have um, for vague and unspecified reasons, that's that's when you split up. You don't wait until the crisis point when you realize that they're willing to, you know, kill the whole group in order to finish their sort of like Ahab situation with whatever the monster is, which is not the real monster. Once again, uh, to be clear, the real monster is us with the helicopters and the guns and so forth. Just get out of there as fast as you can. Just immediately check out. um, Once you've landed on the island, uh, once you guys have figured out wherever the monster's coming from, just jump ship, it's fine. No one's going to court-martial you. You just need to get out of there. Your commanding officer totally just, you know, lost their grip on reality like five minutes in and you no longer owe them anything. Because once again, we are the monsters. So um, now you know that. Now you know you can bail way sooner uh, and your odds of surviving uh, just like increased exponentially to the level of like the friendly geologist who almost always makes it out because it's like oh science but good science because there's always the scientist who also dies of hubris because they're like oh too much science and there's just like the little science guy who always lives the person who wants too much science um is always in trouble like uh the guys in independence day who were like oh so much science that will study the aliens but hubris the aliens ate their brains out um but people who did just a little bit less science jeff goldblum got to save everybody. They knew just enough science to, you know, not be Icarus. Um, If any of that made sense to you, you now know to survive any disaster movie. If any of it didn't, uh, just consider it a movie-inspired word salad and forget I said anything. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to hear me answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. (laughs) 